So tonight we're going to be uh, just taking a little bit of a breath for this past several weeks, almost over just over two months now, we've been on this journey with the Spiritual Gift series. We, we you know, going way back to um, the end of summer last year, we are, we're in this process of looking at how intimacy with Father God gives us an identity as His sons and daughters. And when we learn to really inhabit that identity, um, our purpose is something that naturally arises out of that same intimacy. And that's the journey that we're all on together. And when we come to the place of purpose, we have a common purpose. But we have a beautiful diversity of the way in which Father has crafted each one of us to fulfill that purpose of revealing his love to the world. And so we stepped into a time of looking at the spiritual gifts. We began by talking about why it's even important to look at that. We talked about um, the Holy Spirit, who he is and how he interacts with us and how he equips us and sends us forth into the world. And the past several weeks, especially, we've been looking at each one of the spiritual gifts and really digging in deep and saying, Lord, what does this look like for us to step into these gifts as individuals, but also as a community? And so uh, we wanted to just pause at this point in the series and just do a recap. We've been looking at what many people refer to as the fivefold ministry, and this comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So if you want to turn with me there, um, we're going to read this. Um, And this is going to be the place that we're just going to kind of come back to and visit time and again. And I don't actually have that written down. I was going to say, do you have that memorized? I'm really impressed. kind of do. I can read it for you since you're over there. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. These are the five, uh, we kind of look at them as almost like foundational gifts that we have within the church. And it's just this language, there's a lot of of very churchy, Christian-y language in that phrase in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. But it's really beautiful when we begin to break that down and we say, why is it that Christ Jesus has established these five different gifts or these five different vocations within the church, what does it accomplish? And so when we really break that down, we see that those five uh, vocations are there to equip all of us and to build all of us. And so the first thing that we see there is that, that, that Paul is saying Christ gives us these gifts. He lays down this foundation so that all of us together are raised up. And what is it that we're raised up into? The first thing is unity. The first thing is unity. Now, if you imagine so much of the way the world operates is that it kind of separates out the haves and the have-nots, the people that are in power and the powerless. And it's so easy for us to allow that to kind of penetrate the church, but the truth of what it is that Paul is leading us to see in Christ Jesus is that together we're all raised up into unity in Christ. We find our commonality in Him. What else? We're raised up into the knowledge of the Son of God. We're going to be talking about the gift of knowledge specifically in a couple weeks. But this isn't intellectual facts about Jesus, but it's a deep and profound lived-in awareness of who He is. And so as we come together and we lay the foundation of the fivefold ministry and these gifts, we all come to this deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And we all become mature. We all start to grow into ever-increasing awareness of who it is that God has called us to be. And finally, we step into the fullness of the measure of Christ. That, the, the, that Christ within us 
radiates from who we are an ever-increasing amount. We move from glory to glory, as it says in other places. And so these five gifts, they lay a foundation. We were talking about metaphors um, this past week in our, in our meeting. Is it like kind of like a lattice work? Is it like almost like a matrix? But we really kind of come back to um, the, the, the metaphor that, that Cole gave us in the very beginning. It's as if we're all building a wall. And how do those five gifts work when we're talking about building a wall? Well, first off, the apostle. The apostle is like the person that makes the blueprints. The person that kind of establishes, is in, is in conversation with the architect and kind of lays out the design for the wall. And then the prophet comes along, and the prophet's almost like the overseer of the building, making sure that all the pieces are there and they're all in line. And, and the prophet is the one who kind of calls people into the role. So you can almost think of the prophet as the engineer in a way. And then you have the pastor, and the pastor is the person who really cares for the workers in the process of building that wall and making sure that people know how to go about doing this in a healthy and safe manner, but also in stepping out and really performing excellently in, in accomplishing this common task. And then finally, you have um, the, the last two, the teacher, the person who instructs on how to build through the word and through action almost taking those blueprints and kind of translating what's written on paper so that the people can build this wall well. And then finally, of course, we come to the evangelists. The evangelists are the people that reach out beyond the team and draw in new people into the community and into the process of building. And so I want you to keep that, uh, that image, that metaphor in your mind as we're going through these gifts. So what we want to do tonight is we want to look at, just kind of recap, each of these five spiritual gifts and as we're going through this, I want you to recall when we've talked about these in the past, what is it that God stirred up within you in ways that you've experienced these gifts or maybe you've stepped out in them in some way? And I think it's important to note that when we're talking about the fivefold ministry, there, we're talking about vocations in a church community, but we're also talking about a very specific aspect of the Father heart of God. And when the five, these five expressions of the father heart are brought together we have this fuller deeper understanding of who christ jesus is and when they all come together and they lay that foundation all of the other gifts come in and people begin to find their place within the community as we all grow together so we're going to begin with the gift of apostle yeah, when we talked about apostle, one of the things that we talked about was that the apostles among us reveal what heaven is like and set the course to making it a reality. The apostles among us reveal what heaven is like and set us on the course toward making it a reality. And it's kind of this idea of what is heaven like? What is God calling us to? What is he showing us his intention for us is? It's the broad understanding of why God has called his church, of why he's placed us here. Ephesians 2 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles, and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in, t in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so there's this picture of a deep intimacy with the father. And because of that deep intimacy with the father, the apostles and the prophets are well acquainted with his voice and remind us as the church what heaven is like. Jesus 
taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the apostles and the prophets lay a foundation for us to have a deeper and more profound understanding of what heaven is like. What are the realities of heaven? And as we understand that, the the last verse there in uh, Ephesians 2 verse 22 says, in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so as we understand a deeper glimpse of, a deeper understanding of what heaven is like, it gives each of us the opportunity to operate uniquely in our gifts so that we come together. And as we come together in our spiritual gifts, we become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so we see apostles setting up a culture that word initially, apostolos in the New Testament, was a secular word. It was a military term. And as, um, as people would go out, as kings would go out and conquer a land, as armies would go out and conquer a land, they would send these people ahead to instill the culture and the customs of that kingdom among the people that were now conquered. And so uh, the, the apostles, even in its original form, as, as we see the, the New Testament writers talking about this, the people of the New Testament age would have an understanding of what apostles were from this military term of people who would go and help and establish the culture of the the reigning kingdom so that as the king came he would be welcomed in to the culture that he uh, that he had established. And in the same way, God has called us to establish a culture and apostles among us help reveal that culture. And what is that culture? That culture is heaven. And then we begin moving on a course toward making it a, ra- a reality. And so I think the call of the apostle is this. Apostles step into new territory and prepare the way for others to come in. Apostles step into new territory and prepare the way for others to come in. There's a certain boldness or at least insanity to the apostle uh, to step into the unknown and just trust that God is there. And as we step into the unknown, as we find God in the unknown places, as we discover new components and aspects of who he is, which only happens as we step into those places in faith with boldness, we discover there a greater understanding of the reality that God has established and is establishing as he uh, he accomplishes his his agenda of heaven on earth. And so apostles kind of lead the way into stepping into new territory with boldness and bravery and set up the kingdom of heaven and say, hey, look at what God is doing in this place. Church, come and join that we would establish the customs of Jesus wherever it is that we walk. And so I was recently listening to uh, Chris Valentine actually talk about how Jesus did this. And Jesus showed us the life of the apostle by revealing heaven through his action and the way that he lived and the way that he related to people and the way that he established love and peace and the fruit of the spirit and the realities of heaven through healing and signs and wonders. He revealed heaven through his action. He are, uh, are he acculturated the disciples and sent them out. And so as a result of his action, the disciples had a deeper understanding of what heaven was like. Jesus sent them out. And then he gave them and consequently us an apostolic prayer of thy kingdom come. He showed us what our mission was to establish the realities of heaven. And so that's a brief overview of some of the things that we talked about related to what it means to be apostles. And that's what, you know, the, we, we pray that the Lord is stirring 
stirring in some of us as we come to a deeper understanding of our spiritual gifts. And who are those people of bravery and boldness and great faith to step into the unknown places, discover God and the realities of his kingdom, and say to the rest of us, hey, come over here. We found something beautiful about who God is and what he wants to establish. And then we move into that second concept, that second gift of the prophet. And so um, the apostle and then the prophet. And as we saw in Ephesians chapter two, it says that um, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we see this kind of hand and hand life between the apostle and the prophetic. And the, and, and we came to this idea, prophetic people carry the calling of heaven for things and people and never give up on seeing it become a reality. And so prophetic people are reminding us again and again of that that apostolic culture that has been established, of that heavenly culture that's being established, and calls us into it, reminding us of what God has said and reminding us of what God is saying about where we are and where he wants to take us. And the truth is that while we talk about this in the context of the fivefold ministry, we have an understanding that there is the office of prophet, but all of us are meant to live in the prophetic. 1 Corinthians 14.1 reminds us to follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And what does it mean for us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit? Let's look at these three things. Eagerly desiring the prophetic means we look for it. And I think there's so much validity and reality about the power of us just being aware. As we step into the fullness of our relationship with God, as we step into a deep place of intimacy with him, our eyes are open to how he's working. Our ears are open to what he's saying. And that's what the prophetic is all about. We're people who see what God is doing and make that plain to the people around us. One of the ways that I've um, tried to step into this recently is um, I have this stack of cards in my car and they have a bunch of names of people on them. And every day I turn to two new names. And in the past, those are just been prompts for prayer for me. And so I've been saying, all right, you know, I'll turn to two new names. I'll pray for them on my way to wherever it is I'm going. And that's kind of the end of it. But as we've been entering into the spiritual gift series, one of the things that God has kind of challenged me in, has been shifting me in, is to not only like turn to those cards and say, Lord, bless these people today, be with them, show them who you are, which is a wonderful thing to do for us to be in consistent prayer with one another. But I've just been challenged to not only pray those prayers, but also to begin listening. Lord, is there something that you want to say to these people through me today? And it's just that simple awareness of of listening for what God might be saying and then being his mouthpiece of encouragement or challenging those people to step into a greater fullness of who he's created them to be. The second thing, eagerly eagerly desiring the prophetic means we live with hope and expectation of more. And so the prophet sees where we are today, but also is seeing where God is projecting for us to walk into in the future. And we know that as God establishes his kingdom, as we move in history, scripture says that we're moving from glory to glory and the prophet Isaiah says that there's no end to the increase of the government of Jesus, of the Messiah. And so we see this ongoing reality of God wanting us to know more of who he is, to reveal more of who he is, to reveal more of his glory that we would live in that. And for me, again, an example of this, of just expecting more um, is... I found myself recently saying to a lot of people in my kind of one-on-one conversations to them, they'll tell me something about their life or they'll ask me a question. And my kind of natural human response is like, I don't know, and I'll never be able to know that for you. But as I've really come to understand, have a deeper understanding of the prophetic, 
rather than responding with that human response of, I don't know, and I'll never be able to know that for you. Just saying, all right, well, Lord, maybe you want to give me some supernatural understanding about what you want to say and do in this person's life. And that's, again, moving from kind of that natural human state of like, well, I don't know, and I can't know for you. But when someone comes to us with something saying, Lord, is there something you want to say or do through me? Recognizing that God knows everything and that we, as we are found in Christ, have the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And God knows all things and has the ability to reveal to us and through us all things. And so again, it's just eagerly desiring the prophetic means we live with hope and expectation of more. And lastly, eagerly desiring the prophetic is the epitome of living in the present. That we would just say, all right, Lord, what are you doing right now? We'd walk into an environment. God, how are you moving in this environment? What are you doing and how can I call people into it? And so when we taught on prophetic, we actually took two weeks to do that. So that was a little bit, Ryan's going to talk to us a little bit more about um, an understanding and experience with the prophetic. Um, so one of the things that I find really fascinating when we're talking about the prophetic is seeing seeing the growth of that gift through Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And, and kind of the, the Old Testament corollary for the fivefold ministry, you could say, is summed up in the prophet and the priest and the king. And we see in the Old Testament all these different interactions between those three people. Sometimes we have good kings and bad kings. Sometimes we have good priests and bad priests. For the most part, the prophets are, are good, but they, sometimes they kind of struggle with their place within that ecosystem. But essentially, the king is there to establish the boundaries of the nation, to keep everybody safe and to kind of guide the social life of the community. The priest is there to guide the religious life of the community and to, to walk the people through the process of God. And then often we see the voice of the prophet is the one that speaks the direct revelation of God into the community in the moment to say, hey, stop, slow down, turn. God, God is, you're going this way, but God actually wants you to head over this way. And the good king and the good priest will listen to the prophet and change course. And then the bad king and the bad priest, well, we see what happens time and again in the Old Testament with that. It doesn't really go that well. And so we see that kind of carry into the New Testament. But now the, the prophet is fully welcomed into the kingdom dynamics, into the kingdom economics. But it's really beautiful in those three vocations, prophet, priest, and king, we see the, the full revelation of God, that the priest kind of orchestrates the revelation of God through Scripture, and the king kind of orchestrates the revelation of God through the community, through the people, and then the prophet speaks that direct, real-time revelation of God in the moment. And so the, the beauty is that all three of those are actually forms of divine revelation, and they work together to give us the fullest understanding possible of who God is and who he's calling us to be. So I talked about when um, when we step into a New Testament understanding, the prophet offers what they feel like the Lord is saying in the moment, and it becomes part of this ecosystem of revelation as everybody else is bringing in their perspective of what they feel like the Lord is calling us to do in the moment, and it, and it grows us deeper into our calling. And, and I think it's really beautiful, kind of one of the things that Cole had said there is that we live with hope and expectation for more. And it's, that's so key when we're talking about new covenant, New Testament, revelation, people perspective on the prophetic is that there's always the call to hope, that the prophetic is always spoken with the love of God to the hope in Christ Jesus. And I use two illustrations, if you remember. I had this really obnoxious door alarm that went off. And sometimes the prophetic call is the call to repentance. It's the, hey, wake up. 
there's a fire and you need to go to the exit as quickly as possible, you know. And then the other one, if you remember, I just demonstrated my wild and amazing um, trump- trumpet skills. And I, and I played Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man. Sometimes the prophetic call isn't the one of repentance and get back on track, but it's keep going, get inspired, allow the Spirit to come within you, and it stirs up something within us. And so the, the, the prophet is the kind of direct revelation of God in the moment that helps us stay on, on his course, and we don't get distracted and veer off into our own reliance on our, on our, on our own understandings. Um, so the, the next one, that's apostle and then prophet, and then we move into pastor. And so pastors give of themselves in order to protect and guide the flock. In God's story, right from the very beginning, we see this theme of the shepherd. When we start in the story of Cain and Abel, we have these two supposedly um, competing worldviews. We have the one of the agriculture. It's stay in one place, be rooted, grow, cultivate something where you are. And then we have this other perspective of the shepherd, of the nomad, which is move forward, like find the new place, keep advancing, keep going. And the beauty is that the Lord speaks in his scripture in both of those worldviews. And, and what we see in the, in the shepherding, the history of the shepherd in God's eyes is that's the place where so often he goes to find his leaders. If you think about Moses, where was Moses when God called Moses? He was out shepherding. Where was Abraham? He was shepherding. Where was David? He was a shepherd. Where was Joseph? He was a shepherd. And I believe that God finds a level of humility and care in a shepherd that he says, you know what? I can work with that. I can do something with that because there's a raw essence in the heart of a shepherd to say, let's go together. Let's move together. Let's care for everybody and make sure that we all move into this thing. And so we looked at Ezekiel 34, which is just one of the huge, beautiful prophecies where where, um, God is talking about the good shepherd that he's going to send. And the main thing that we brought from Ezekiel 34 is this. The good shepherd takes it upon himself to be fully present to us. When God sees all of these atrocities going on in Israel and the people being taken advantage of, he doesn't say, well... I'll make sure to send somebody else in. He says, no, 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 I myself, I myself am going to step in. I myself am going to rescue the sheep and to bind up their wounds and to tend to the sick and to bring home the ones that have lost their way. And we stepped into John 10 and we find Jesus speaking to the Pharisees who were the bad shepherds of his day and saying, I am the good shepherd. You know, this, this, this person, this messianic figure that God spoke of in Ezekiel 34, that's me. I'm the good shepherd. And Jesus has these two very beautiful phrases in John 10. He talks about how my sheep, they hear my voice, and he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. And so he talked about when Jesus says to hear my voice, what is he talking about? He's talking about the steadfast commitment that the pastoral heart has to the sheep because sheep don't trust very much. Sheep need that consistent presence that's going to, they're going to learn his voice and they're going to say, that's the voice of consistency in my life. That's the voice that's been there for me time and again, the voice who has cared for me. And the sheep learn to trust in the voice of that shepherd. And then secondly, Jesus says that I lay down my life for the flock. The good shepherd sacrifices himself for those he loves. 
And it's so amazing, you know, today, just as in Jesus's day, we live in a very pain averse society. We live in a society that's that's a bit more about self-preservation and protection from. But what we find in that pastoral heart is a willingness to be open before the world, to risk everything for the sake of somebody else. And, and Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for one another. And it's so beautifully put in this um, quote from Mother Teresa. She said, love until it hurts. For I found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. I think it's so beautiful. I think that encapsulates the pastoral heart, the shepherding heart. And so what we realized about our call to be shepherds is this. We're all sheep who lead others to the good shepherd. Jesus is the ultimate sheep, isn't he? He's the ultimate lamb, the sacrificial lamb laid down for our sins. But we're also called to be sheep who are somewhat sacrificial that we open ourselves to the world, we open ourselves to our brothers and sisters, and we lay down our lives daily in order to love them and to serve them and to draw them ultimately into relationship with the great and ultimate shepherd. And so we kind of finished by talking about what does it look like for us to be healthy pastors. And I talked about that fine line between being Christ-like and having a Messiah complex. You know, that, that, that big question for so many of us when we're caring for somebody else is, well, when do I know to step in and when do I know to let go? When, is it, when does it seem right to throw in the towel on this person or this situation? It's such so, so hard for us very often when we find ourselves in that place. But ultimately, as good shepherds, we trust in God. We trust in the Lord that he is in control and that he will operate. And so the best that we can do is to continue to point people back to the ultimate shepherd. And so that's the gift of pastor. So apostle, prophet, pastor, and now teacher. And the teacher is this. Teachers uncover all truths in new ways for the people, leading to intimacy with God and a new understanding of identity. So I began by talking about how life is inherently tension. Everything that we find is we step out into this world and we start to become aware of our surroundings and aware of other people and aware of how society works and how this world works. We end up with a lot of questions. When we're really little, we, we love questions. We're always asking why. Well, why this? Why that? And, 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 and a good and healthy environment for us meets us in those questions. And I, think, I believe that that creative tension of questions is the thing that actually leads us deeper into life. That when we're, when we're allowed to ask the questions that are on our hearts and we pursue the answers, it walks us deeper into our life. And I believe at the core of all of us, there are three major questions. What is God like? Who am I supposed to be? And what am I supposed to do? And at the core of all of the questions in our lives, we keep coming back to these three because I believe that they're really the questions of intimacy questions of identity, and questions of purpose. And so I believe this is the environment that the teacher steps in because the teacher acts as a bridge. The teacher as a bridge desires holistic growth of the people in mind and body and heart through word and deed. When we look at Matthew chapter 22, we see Jesus discussing this with the Pharisees. They say this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them an expert in the law tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I love this moment of Jesus being the teacher because what he's establishing are these inherent splits in the world and seeking to be the bridge upon which those things come together. So when we talk about loving the Lord your God, we're talking about there's this inherent gap between us and Father God. And when we love him as in in just an iota of the love that he has for us, we start to fill in that gap. We start to walk to to each other. And I love that Jesus says, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, because the teacher desires that holistic growth of a person. It's not enough that we have a faith of the heart or a faith of the mind or just a faith of the spirit. But that in every aspect of the way that God has created us, we grow into him. And so we also find this bridge and this unity within who we are as creatures. And then the second commandment being like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we know so often that prompted new questions in Jesus' hearers. Well, who is my neighbor? Who are the people that I'm called to love? And the best answers in life always prompt us to new questions because it's the new questions that are going to invite us deeper and deeper into the reality of God. And so I talked about how the teacher does this in two main ways. The first is that the teacher expounds. The teacher brings clarity where there was none before. We looked at the story of Ezra, the priest, who is perhaps one of the greatest teachers in the Old Testament. And as Israel is starting to wander back from this exile in Babylon, We find a people that have been scattered. We find a people that have have lost their way. They've kind of lost the the voice of God. And they come together and they say, you know, we're aware of the law. And we've heard these stories about these heroes that have come before us, but but we, we, we just don't have the connection to these things. We've been so lost and we've been so hurt for so long. We need someone to bring us clarity. We need someone to bring us to a rallying point and to lead us back into the favor of God. And so as they're rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, Ezra stands in front of the people and he begins to read the law and everybody freaks out. Everybody freaks out because this is the thing they've been wanting to hear for decades. This is the thing that they want to be wanting to hear for so long. And now all of a sudden they're hearing what God is like. And what God's heart is for them. And it's so beautiful because in that moment, Ezra says, well, hold on, slow down. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the fact that God has given us a path back to him. And then we're going to deal with this. And so not only is it just through reading the law, but it's also leading the people through the symbol of celebration that he walks them into repentance and revival breaks out in Israel. And it says that they, there was never a day of celebration like that one. And I love that. So the teacher expounds and brings clarity to Scripture through the word and through the symbol. But there's another way to teach. And it's the teacher who confounds. And we find this so often in Jesus, that Jesus speaks in these parables and these riddles, and they invite us below the surface of assumption into divine mystery. And I love this about the way that Jesus teaches. The parables are not these little stories that we're supposed to consume in an afternoon and then know what they mean. 
But they're rather these mysterious stories that we step into. And every time we come back to them, the, the revelation of who God is, is a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And so often the things that Jesus spoke, people walked away with more questions than they had answers. But what, what Jesus is doing there when he confounds us is he's actually shaking off the status quo. He's shaking off our assumptions of how we think the world works and inviting us to step into something more deep and more beautiful. And so we kind of finish by talking about how for us as teachers, we really are fellow learners, that we're all fellow journeymen walking on the same path into who God is. And I believe in our best moments as teachers, we're like that, the widow who finds the coin. And in her overwhelming joy, she brings together those she loves and has a party and says, look, here's the coin that I lost and now I've found it. And so a good teacher should be igniting a passion for Scripture and igniting a passion to walk into who God is and and igniting a passion for the joy of discovery. And we finish with evangelists, and we looked at this idea. Evangelism is a demonstration of heaven. I did that last time. I just copied and pasted. No, the of the heavens, leading to a saving and transforming encounter with God. That's my fault. I apologize. Um, So uh, evangelism is a demonstration of heaven leading to a saving and transforming encounter with God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 reminds us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And look at this. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And you see that in this evangelist's heart, in this book of 2 Corinthians, this letter to the church in Corinth, that it wasn't about counting people's sins against them, but rather revealing the heart of God, that Christ did not count people's sins against them, and neither do we. Rather, we, God has committed to us the, the message of reconciliation. And what does that mean? It means that we recognize that evangelism is a spiritual gift. Evangelism is not primarily an encounter with a set of facts, but an encounter with heaven. And our goal is not to get people to agree with us. Our goal is to reveal the reconciling and fathering heart of God. So let's put it on the screen. Evangelism is not primarily an encounter with a set of facts, but an encounter with heaven. And you and I, as we step into intimacy with God, we carry the realities of heaven with us. And we have the opportunity to reveal those realities to the people around us. We see Paul walking on the road to Damascus, and he has a an extremely transformational encounter with Jesus that leads him to living an an entirely different life. And as you and I carry the Holy Spirit in us, as we carry the presence and character of Jesus in us, we have the opportunity to give people a supernatural encounter with the Father that leads to deep transformation and salvation in their life. And of course, the gospel message is part of that reality. But it's not simply in a way that is rote, recounting words, but it's filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We see multiple times in the New Testament where people filled with the Holy Spirit speak out the truth of God for the people in a way that God wants to encounter them. And we talked about these three things that oftentimes evangelism is accompanied by supernatural speech, supernatural culture, and supernatural signs. And we took two weeks to talk about supernatural speech and supernatural culture. And as we continue on in our spiritual gift series, we'll talk about the gift of signs and wonders and how that leads us into a deep place of revealing God's heart for people. And ultimately, Jesus is not looking for converts. He's looking for his children. Jesus is not looking for converts. He's looking for his children. And that is God's heart for us. That is God's heart for us as we step into the call to be evangelists, that we would reveal God's fathering heart for the world around us. That he's not looking for people who believe something new. He's looking for children who have a transformational encounter with him first that renews the heart and it renews the mind. The result of salvation is a renewed mind. Our mind is converted. The way we think is converted, but it's not converted to a new way of human thinking. Our minds come in alignment with the mind of Christ and we begin thinking supernaturally. We begin thinking as God thinks. We begin feeling as God feels and we have a new heart and a new mind as a result of a powerful transformational supernatural encounter with the fathering heart of God. And so as we look at the apostle, the pastor, the, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. What does all this stuff add up to? Why is this so important? Why is this the New Testament model for the church? Why has God gifted the church with these offices and these gifts? And I think it's this healthy operation in the spiritual gifts leads us into a deeper revelation of love, truth, health, and kingdom. And as we step into the fullness of our spiritual gifts, as we create a framework within which God dwells as a result of the proper operation in the spiritual gifts, we see a deeper revelation of these things, a deeper revelation of love that we would serve one another as Jesus served us. The end goal of us stepping into our offices, of us stepping into our spiritual gifts, is not solely that we would be people who are fulfilled in our purpose and calling, but that we, like Jesus, would be people who serve the church and the world. That's part of our mission for 2015, that we would disciple and commission every member of City Beautiful Church in our spiritual gifts to serve the church and the world as part of a culture of honor. And in that, we embody the love, the sacrificial love of Jesus and the Father's heart for the people around us. Second, it's a deeper revelation of truth. The spiritual gifts give us the ability to look below the surface and have a deeper understanding a deeper encounter with the truths of God. And as we step into the truths of God, as we step into that deeper reality, as we look beyond the surface, we have a a supernatural understanding. We simply don't have a mental ascent in that we learn. We uh, We have a mental transformation in that we have an encounter with God that leads us into a life transforming encounter with truth. We also have the ability to understand truth as it relates to our future, where God is taking us. That's what we see in the embodiment of the prophetic is that we step into a deeper understanding of what the future is. 
As a result of stepping into our, our gifts, it leads us to a revelation of love, truth, and health. And we see this. Individuals living in their purpose from a place of intimacy with God. We become healthy individuals as we move into intimacy with God and as we use our gifts to serve one another and draw one another into a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what God desires for us. And as each of us steps into a deeper personal level of health, the church becomes a healthy organism and it's a cyclical effect. As individuals become healthy, the church becomes more healthy. As the church becomes more healthy, individuals become more healthy. And it's an ongoing cycle. A healthy church is made of healthy individuals. And I would even add this to it. Healthy individuals become more healthy because of the health of a church. It's a constant cycle of a a process, but it all begins with our personal intimacy with God. And the fivefold ministry gives us the platform in which which we move into a deeper place of intimacy with God, thereby becoming more holistically healthy in our mind, our emotions, our will, our desires, our spiritual gifts, our spiritual life. We step into a deeper place of health and the church becomes more effective in the call that God has given us. And lastly, that is the call, a deeper revelation of the kingdom. When we recognize heaven as a result of the apostolic picture that's painted for us as the result of the prophetic uh, calling us into our destiny and our understanding of our role and the mission of heaven, as the pastor loving us along that journey, as the teacher reminding us and showing to us and revealing to us how it is that we step into the things that God has said and is saying. And lastly, as the evangelist draws the world into a deeper place with God through supernatural encounter, we see a deeper revelation of heaven. We recognize heaven and we can more fully and accurately call it into existence and align ourselves with it. And so as we talk about these spiritual gifts, as we talk about these five offices, we're not just talking about some sort of leadership or organizational structure. We're talking about a framework that God has called us into and that Jesus has provided for the church that we would be people who step into a deeper revelation of love, truth, health, and kingdom, that we would be the people and the church that God has created and called us to be. And so there is a much bigger end goal than our personal satisfaction and fulfillment. Although as we step into those deeper levels of health, as we encounter God, we experience that deeper level of calling and fulfillment. But the end goal is that we would serve one another and we would give ourselves to one another as Christ has given us, given given himself to us sacrificially. And so tonight, Uh, We have kind of this experience that we want to move through. As we spend time with the Holy Spirit, we just want to ask this question in relationship to apostle, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. Let's put that question up there. The question is this, in what ways do I embody or express components of one of these gifts? And I remember the night that we, um, that we talked about pastor, Ryan invited people up to be prayed over, um, that, that, they felt that God was stirring in them this gift of pastor. And in the same way, I think that God is stirring in us all components of these. And it doesn't mean that God is calling all of us to step into these offices in an official capacity in the church, but we recognize that God is revealing these things in and through his people to varying degrees. And so we just want to ask this question, in what ways do I embody or express components of one of these gifts? And maybe there are a few of these that you see God stirring in you or ways that you're operating in these or things that 
God is doing to reveal these gifts in you. And what we, ha- what we have here is kind of a color-coordinated thing uh, where blue represents apostle and the colors, as you can see. And then we have these, um, these different translucent pieces of paper up here. And what we want to do as we move through this next worship set is to come and get one of these or more, more than one of these and to just spend time writing out how it is that God is revealing these things in you and how he's using you to accomplish these things. And we're going to go over here and just as a visual symbol of how God is doing this in our church, as he calls individuals into our destiny and our purpose, we're going to just tape these pieces of paper to that and we'll see this thing move into a beautiful colored tapestry, recognizing that God is gifting each one of us. And as we come together, we are a more accurate representation of the fullness of who he's calling us to be. So maybe you feel like God is stirring in you and has been stirring in you and revealing the gift of evangelist and apostle through you. Come and get a blue and a red little piece of cellophane and write out those specific ways that God is doing that. And then we'll put those on there as a visual representation of how God is uniting and knitting our church together to step into the fullness of what it is that he's called us to be. So let's close our eyes for a second and just sit in silence. Let's just give the Lord a moment to stir in us and remind us of the last couple months as we've been talking through these things and the things that he stirred in us on those weeks as as we've gathered together and maybe even some of the things that he stirred in you tonight.